You are listening to Normalized Crime, an in-depth look at gang life and all the effects that come along with it. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Normalized Crime. I'm Eric. What's going on, Berto here? And Berto, we're back with another episode. What do you got for a topic for us today? Uh, so today, it's it's uh, I guess it's not a, a bona fide topic, right? But it's just a, just a thought I had in my mind about how there's a lot of guys that you run into, you know, during, you know, during these people that join gangs and you, you know, during these periods of their life and you run into a lot of guys and, and a lot of times, you know, myself included, you always have a preconceived notion about somebody, right? When you first meet them, you, you automatically judge them based on what you think, you know, or, or their mannerisms or whatever it is. And so you can kind of, you can kind of tell yourself whether you think you'll like somebody, or you won't like somebody. You know, I had that happen to me a couple of times. And, and, and so basically what I want to talk about is like, you know, when you're, when you're surprised, right. When you're pleasantly surprised or unpleasantly surprised about, you know, how somebody turns out, how they end up being, and obviously a relationship with them. And uh, I thought about this uh, the other day, um, because I was speaking to, you know, a friend, uh, an older friend who was around during my time. And, and, uh, <clears throat> we started talking about this guy that I'm about to bring up. And, uh, it, it's kind of made me think like, man, how did that guy even end up trapped so to speak and end up in the gang right so so the guy's name is Payne right and um you know I brought him up in some stories I, I guess I haven't really elaborated on him probably as much as I should have because he was a he was a relevant character um he was a, he was he was in the mix for sure and um he even he was the enforcer at one point so yeah so <clears throat> now the thing about Payne right before I start, you got any questions about that? You got anything? Well, you want to well I think what, can you can you lead it off with what was your pre when you first met Payne? What was your notion okay. of who he was? Okay, yeah, good question. So when we first met him, so his his brother was a king. His brother Weddle. I mean, obviously, I've mentioned a bunch of Weddle, so you probably don't know which one, right? But this mm-hmm. is this this isn't the Miller Brewing executive Weddle. This is a different Weddle. He was from Nineteenth Street. So this is his older brother. And Payne, when I first met him, Payne was like a basketball guy. You know what I mean? He's like 6'2". He was chunky, you know, but he loved to play ball. And that's kind of what we knew him as. Like, he just said, he would come around. And you got to remember, like, we were all, like, really, really into sports. Like, athletically, you know, me, Tim, Chico, you know, all the younger 19th Street guys were really into sports. And so um, we played sports a lot. And and Payne was just a guy. He would come around. He would play with the Kings. It was never, you know, like, guys liked him. He would hang out. He was cool. But he was never like considered to be a king. Like nobody ever thought about him being a king. You know, hmm. um, maybe part of that was like because um, of because of Weddle, and and then the other part was because of him. Um, but what I thought about him is is like I just thought like okay, this is an athletic you know guy like to play at, you know sports and and um, he likes to smoke. He'll drink you know he'll drink with you. Uh, but he wasn't into the gang stuff, and I felt like you know that suited him and fitted him. You know. Uh, and, and, but naturally what happens with, with being around gang members all the time and, and eventually those parties and those smoke sessions, you know, they turn into conversations and, and, uh, you know, obviously, you know, a conversation is always going to be, it's always a recruiting tactic, right? Like guys want to know, why aren't you a king? Like you're always around, you hang out, you know, and, and, um, but you got to remember. So at this time when he first is getting, is getting sort of, uh, wind and dying, I guess, into, into becoming a king you know the element that's not there really is the violence part you know he doesn't see that part you know he kind of sees just the the fun aspect of it you know the parties and the the drinking and the smoking and the girls and the the sports you know he kind of sees like the glorious part of it you know he doesn't see the dangerous part he doesn't see the inner workings of every day and the struggle it is and looking over your shoulder everywhere you go he didn't see that part so eventually, you know, he kind of, he made the decision on his own. I think it was, it was kind of through just being around guys a lot. And eventually he was like, yeah, man, listen, I want to, I want to come home, you know? And, uh, and that's the saying, that's always been the saying, you know, come home. And, and so, uh, he ended up becoming a King. And, and this is where I said, like, I was surprised by him. Right. Because my, my mindset about him was simple, right? Like it didn't, I didn't think he would be as, active of a member i kind of thought he would he would be another guy that would be around and 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 hold his own 
But uh, Payne was, he became really active, man. And, and by active, I mean he was a shooter um, along with us. Maybe not to the extent that, like, you know, Toot and my brother and, and I were, but but he was definitely somebody who was not scared to shoot a gun and, and not scared to to kill a flake. You know, he, he was, he was not, he was not opposed to that even more so than his brother who was already a King, you know, uh, Weta was never known for, for putting in work or, or nothing like that. He was like, I, I think I mentioned it before. He was kind of like a fighter. He would fight, you know, flakes, but you know, he was more of a family man, obviously like respect to him, you know, at, even at that time he was a family man. And so pain really surprised me, man. He came out of the woodwork and uh, there's a lot to be said about, how you feel about somebody based on what they've done for you, right? Like, obviously, the longer you've had a relationship with somebody, they've probably done things for you and it it, it grows your affinity for them, so to speak, right? Well, in the gang world, it's similar. You know, uh, when you're around somebody and they do things for you, right? So in the gang, the big thing for you is, right, is to shoot for you, you know, save your life or to take a case for you. You know, those are like the ultimate, like, man, you feel like, you know, you love this person, you're indebted to this person. Like you, you, you really, you embrace that, that aspect of the brotherhood. You know that it's real, it's true, you know, or you think it is, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, pain, he made it real easy to be accepted because of how naturally he transitioned into violence. I think I told um, this story, but from a different aspect before. And I believe it was for Toots aspect, right? Well, this is Payne's aspect of it. And mm-hmm. this early on, uh, when, you know, he was beginning to be, I guess, respected, right? Like he was, he was never the type to freeze up, you know, he was ready to go. He didn't have a lot of situations where he had to react. Right. And this, this one night, this one situation, um, he had to react. And this would have made or break his career in so many words, in so many ways. Um, so, so what happened is it's me, Tim, Toot, and Payne. We're walking. I think we're going to A Street. We're going to A Street by Desmond. Desmond lived on a one-way. I mean, not a one-way. He lived on a dead end on 8th and Cleveland. And so it was right off the creek. And the only way to get to his house, obviously, if you're coming from the side where the creek is at, there's like a little small bridge. You know, it's not a bridge for cars. It's just a bridge for walking. And so mm-hmm. we're walking across that bridge. We see a car parked in the in the dead end, right? Like in the, and, and there's people in there. And we can see like motion, you know, like movement, you know. And, and when you look a little closer, they're like in there dancing, you know, and they're, they're, they're throwing up their hands. And so we can tell right away, like it's guys and they're obviously – kicking it in his car, you know? So now you got to remember, we've always been in this, at this point in time, we had always been in the neighborhood over here by Desmond's house. Like that became another one of our little hangouts. Lauren was there often. Um, and we went over there a lot. And so to see any kind of guys, you know, congregating sort of, so to speak in, you know, in that area, it, it was a surprise to us. And, and, and you got to remember, we were the type of crew that when we, you know, we put our flag somewhere, we kind of claimed it as our neighborhood, regardless of where it was at, you know? So, mm-hmm. so that's how we felt about a street. Like a street was just another branch of 19th street in, in, in so many ways. You know what I mean? Because we were over there too. You know, we seen these guys, man, we're walking up now toots got the 38 and it was a, it was like a weird 38. I think there was like a rubber band that was like holding the safety up or something. It was like some weird shit. Right. And, uh, <laughs> And I think that's why I told the story before is I was talking about Toot having bad luck with these guns. But anyways, so Payne had the Ruger though. You know, so we got two guns. There's four of us. We got two guns, right? Me and Timmy on two didn't have a gun. But like I said, if if Toot had a gun, I felt safe. And and obviously at this point in time, you know, we're still figuring out where Payne's at, right? Mm-hmm. And and so we walk past the car and we're all looking at the car. You know, we all got our hats tilted to the left. We're looking for trouble, right? And so these guys, they look at us and they start like throwing up gang signs, but I couldn't, we couldn't really make out what it was, you know, but they're like, they're animated, right? So they pop the doors open. And by this time, we're probably like 10 feet in front of the car, you know, that they were in 10, 15 feet in front of the car. And we're kind of looking at them 
And, you know, at this time we're deciding amongst each other, should we just, should we just fight these dudes and, and beat the shit out of them? Right. Like that's, that's the thought process, right. Or what kind of, what kind of encounter is this going to be? You know, we're, we're kind of mapping it out and we were in a perfect place, you know, as far as crime scenes go, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I, I just, I, I think about it. Like we were in a dead end, you know, we could have ran a number of different ways. Right. And there's, it's, it's dark outside. It's, it's a summer night. You know, there's, there's no witnesses. I lived down on nine street. So not too far. I could have, you know, we could have ran through a couple of gangways in a warehouse parking lot. We were at my house before you know it. So, so in our minds, these are all the things that we're processing in real time, right? And and so these guys get out the car now. And there's three of them. They're obviously obliterated, right? Like they're drunk, you know, even coked up. You know, you can tell, right? And they're obviously now we see they're MPs, right? They're they're Mexican posse's. And so they start throwing MP to us, you know. And we're like we're close to them, and I, we're kind of looking at each other. We're like, what do you want to do, you know? And one of the guys starts reaching reaching for his waist, you know. And and so as soon as that happened, two pulls out the gun on him. You know, he pulls out 38 and they start speaking in Spanish, you know, not not like they were scared, though, but, you know, like there was there was an issue. And so. But at that point, you know, we're we're you know, we know that they're 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 talking shit. Right. And so we tell two like, man, chop them, you know, chop them. And we're not even thinking about pain right now. You know, I I wasn't I I. I I was standing right next to Toot and I'm just thinking like, I wasn't even thinking about pain. You know, I was like, shoot him, you know? And, and pain's kind of like, he, he's, he's not hesitating, but he's like waiting to see what Toot's going to do. And so Toot's trying to shoot <laughs> and this, this <laughs> gun is, is, is malfunctioning. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if the rubber band popped out, you know? And, and uh, we used to always laugh about the shit because it was, it was like, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's like one of the funniest scenes of my childhood, right? When in, in home alone, where where they're in Central Park and and the guy uh, Joe Pesci pulls out the gun and it's full of paint right and <laughs> and Marv Marv's telling him shoot him he's telling him to shoot the kid you know and he's like I'm trying to shoot him because the gun ain't working and that's what I'm telling Toot I'm like shoot him he's like I'm trying to shoot him and so and so it wouldn't work it wouldn't work and so eventually Payne just pulls out his gun and starts letting these dudes have it you know the Ruger never skipped a beat you know the Ruger was consistent. And it was reliable and it had 15 in a clip. I don't know how privy he was to the save one for the run, save a couple for the run. I don't know. I'm not sure. Uh, but I think he did because 15 would have been probably overkill, no pun intended, um, at the time. And and so, you know, those guys like spread out. I, I don't really know if he hit anybody, to be honest with you. It looked like somebody might have got hit, but not like anything life-threatening because they they all ran away. I mean... I guess that's not a clear indicator because technically they could have ran behind a house and been shot in the stomach. So I don't know, but we probably would have seen it on the news if it was something serious. So I think if there was, it was like a, you know, probably a leg wound or something. But my mm -hmm. point of that is to say like, you know, Payne didn't hesitate. You know, he, he, uh, when he seen that whatever was going on with Toot, he just, he just took the initiative and he did what he had to do. And, and, and so that brings me back to my original point is that I never seen that coming from that kind of guy. You know, I, I, uh, I was pleasantly surprised and, and that wouldn't be the first time, you know, I mean, that wouldn't be the last time. I'm sorry. Um, that, that I was pleasantly surprised by it, man. I started to develop a good relationship with pain, man. And, and once, that's what I said, man, once you see somebody's willing to kind of do the things that you do, you know, you spend more time with them. I ended up spending more time with him. Matter of fact, I mean, the night where, you know, I, I, I shot at the, the LFs and I got charged. We were at his house. I didn't get charged, but I mean, they, they raided our house. They raided his house. We were at his house and because I started spending more time over there. You know, full disclosure, man, I don't know how much, you know, a lot of people, I, I believe they, they oversimplify, overstate, you know, this guy saved my life or this person saved my life or I was in this situation and my life was saved. So I don't know technically whether he saved my life or he didn't save my life, you know, but in my mind, um, this next event that I'm about to explain, I felt like he did save our lives to some extent because you never know what could happen. A bullet has no name, right? Just, this is probably a really dumb question, but, but if you're, you're not really sure where pain's at, how does pain end up with the gun? If there's four of you, 
you know that three of you are are experienced with a gun. How does he end up being the person that's holding the gun? Right. Good question. Good question. Okay. So the the main thing to to remember here is that because Payne was with us, right? I mean, when I say us, I mean it's me, Tim, and Two, right? So you got to remember at that time, me, Tim, and Two were probably the most the most known shooters, right? I mean, you throw in Lawrence too, but but us three. So so that fact right there, um, that Payne was with us, um, there comes a time where you have to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So he's going to be given a gun. That's how we got it, you know, to, 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 so it, it to was put kind it simply, of to put it, yeah, to put it simply, you know, when you're, when you're given the, the job to hold the gun, right? It, there's no guarantee you're going to have to use it that day, but you have to be ready to use it. To back ourselves up, obviously we know Toot had the other gun. And so if anything were to happen with Payne and he were to freeze up or he wasn't ready, we had Toot, you know, as a backup, you know, in our mind, that's what we thought. We didn't. We didn't, we didn't really didn't think about the rubber. Yeah, yeah, we didn't think about the rubber band safety and all that. You know, that's <laughs> that's irrelevant. But our mind was in the right place, right? So, so that's kind of how that happens, right? You, you know, when you get put around a bunch of guys that are known to be shooters, you know, obviously you're going to be put in positions where we're going to want to see if you're that guy too. Because if not, you're probably not going to be around us a lot. Because we have to be able to trust that no matter who has the gun, we're going home safely, or at least you know we're putting up a fight. You know, so that's kind of how he ended up with the gun. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So, so same gun, right? The Ruger. Everybody loved the Ruger, right? Everybody wanted to hold the Ruger. And uh, Payne, I think Payne really only wanted to hold the Ruger because we had some janky guns, right? He didn't want the gun with the, you know, with the, uh, the one that broke the lemon squeeze. He didn't want the rubber band safety, you know, the one that was shooting people were shooting each other with so he he always you know if he was carrying a gun he wanted to carry the ruger so one time we're driving right it's me him his brother weto was driving uh and me and gucci are in the back seat and it's like a two-door sebring and i'll never forget it the sebring you know it it didn't accelerate it didn't have like fast acceleration like it took you know, like you would be pushing the gas down to the floor and it would it would slowly ramp up speed, right? For whatever reason. And I, I'll never forget it. We're driving, we're driving on 13th and we're going north towards Mario's house, right? So Mario lived on 12th and Orchard at this time. We're on 13th and Lapham, right? And there's a house on the left side of the street and we see there's like, there's like four guys out there, right? And they look like SGDs. And so, um, we see him and we, right away, we, 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 you know, we dip the forks, right? We throw up the crown, we're dipping the forks and, uh, we're letting him know, like, whatever you are, you know, let us know now. Right. And so, but, but Weto didn't stop, you know, we're kind of like coasting by. So as we coast by, they wait till we get down a little bit and then they start, you know, they start like dipping the crown and then two of the guys that were on the porch, they jump in a car. Right. And it's like a little hatchback. And we get to the bottom of 13th Street on Orchard from Lapham, and we're about to take a right, right? Or we're getting close to it, and we see these dudes speeding up behind us, you know, in this little hatchback. I'm talking about they're coming, right? So we're at a stop sign, and we're about to turn. Weto can't accelerate, you know what I'm saying? Like, this damn Sebring ain't going nowhere, right? So I'm like, man, I'm like, go, you know, go. I'm like, get us somewhere where we can get out the car, you know, and find out what's going on. What are we going to do? And, and so, um, so anyways, we turn right on, we turn right on orchard and we're going towards 12 and then we see them come flying around that corner, right? Right behind us. So then we turn left again, right away on, on 12. Now we're going towards Greenfield, right? In between Greenfield and orchard. And I knew right then I was like, bro, we're never, we're not going to out. These guys got a little hatchback, you know, I'm like, we're not going to out race these guys. I'm like, man, we got to let these dudes have it, you know? And the reason why we didn't do it right away, why we were hesitating is because this is Weddle's personal car. You know, like Weddle has his son in his car. You know, he has his girl in his car. So we weren't trying to gangbang out of his car, you know, in, in, in shooting mode. You know what I'm saying? Like we didn't mind, you know, throwing, I'll be honest with you, bro. This is going to sound crazy, but we didn't really think those guys were going to do anything when we disrespected them. You know, like we had gotten so arrogant. We just kind of looked at it like, 
we're going to disrespect you dudes and you're just going to take it. You know what I mean? And uh, it was stupid thinking, right? But but that's that, that's how arrogant we had gotten. And uh, we, we, we never thought these dudes are going to get in the car and chase us. You know what I'm saying? Like, what the hell? So anyways, back to the story. We're in between Orchard and, and Greenfield now. And I'm telling these guys, I'm like, bro, they're coming right here. I'm like, we got to pull over. I'm like, what a pull over right here. I'm, I'm like, Payne, you're going to have to let these dudes have it. And, and Payne's like, all right. So he pulls a gun out. He puts one in the chamber. And in between, these are South Side streets, right? So I don't know how familiar you are. But in between 12th and, or in between Orchard and Greenfield on 12th Street and almost every street, there's alleyways, you know? Mm-hmm. And to get to Mario's house, we could have took a left into that alley right there. And Mario's house is right there. But instead, we kind of just pulled into, not into the alley, but like sort of in the alleyway, going the other way, going towards 11th. And uh, sure enough, man, as soon as we pulled around, those guys are f- flying right around the corner, right behind us. And luckily, man, Payne had got out. You know, he gets out and he's like over the top of his car. And we can look because me and Gucci are in the back seat. Gucci's behind the driver and I'm behind Payne. You know, so Gucci was in a more compromised position than I was. But like I said, man, bullets ain't got no name. You don't know uh, mm-hmm. if they shoot into the car. You don't know where they're going. Right. They go through both of us. And sure enough, man, those guys, they get closer and I can look, we can look behind us out the back window. You know, we can see the guy, he's got his gun on, he's got his gun on like the window seal of the door, but he was not, he like, he was ready to fire us up, but he was not ready for what pain had for him, you know, and, and pain, let him have it, man. Boom, 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 boom. And he, you know, the gun went right back in the window. They went right back in the window to speed off. They go straight through the stop sign on Greenfield, man. Greenfield's like one of the busiest streets on the south side. Straight mm-hmm. through the stop sign, man. And um, you know they're lucky they didn't get hit, but but you know so that's another instance, bro. Where you know at that point I was I was really surprised that he never hesitated. But like I said, man, you know there's there's something to be said about yeah. I mean, who knows? Somebody could have lost their life in that situation. That guys they had a gun. They were ready to shoot us. They weren't chasing us to tell us our tail light was out. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are <laughs> they want to take us out. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so, uh, you know, that's just another instance, man, where pain kind of, he came through, bro. And, and listen, I could never say that I've ever ran across the moment where we're like, pain, you want to do this or this is going on. And he hesitated. That to me was, uh, was a big surprise. Were, were there things about pain? I mean, other than the fact that he just, you know, you play basketball with him and he really wasn't, he never really was a gang gang member. Were there things about his personality that just said that this guy doesn't have what it takes? Or was it just no. that you just didn't ever see him in, as a member of the gang until he became a g- gang member? That Yeah, so I think I think it was twofold. One, I didn't think he was just interested in it um, because I kind of felt like he carried himself like he was more mature than a gang, if that makes sense. Like, he, not that he looked down on us, but that he just didn't consider himself in that kind of lifestyle, so to speak. So that's that's the way I perceived him. Not that he wasn't prepared for it, you know. Because I think I think in that case, if you think somebody's not prepared for it, there has to be kind of some mannerisms or tendencies that they have that make you feel that way. You see what I'm saying? So it wasn't ever anything glaring that I was like, yeah, he's not brother material. It was just a matter of, I didn't feel like he was interested in it. You know, he was older, you know, when Payne became a king, he was damn, he was an adult. You know, I think he was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think when he became a king, he was like 18 or 19, you know? So um, I felt like he was mentally above the gang atmosphere, so to speak. And then, on, uh, what goes along with that is I kind of felt maybe too that he wouldn't be okay with being a future or a quote unquote shorty, right? Because like he's a grown ass man, right? And yeah. you got to be a future he, with a bunch of kids. You know yeah, he was older than most of the people in the gang, and and then he was yeah. going to be like looked down on him by everybody right. else, right? Yeah, and so yeah, man. So listen, so you know, you know, Payne had a, a few things that were. Um, he was a bigger dude. He was the first guy I ever seen that fought back in a violation. So when you take your violation, right? Or this is when I was becoming a king. Uh, you know, you have two options. So um, you could take, you know, you get three minutes, right? And you could take, you could take this, this violation where basically everything is game. They hit you everywhere in your body except your nuts and your face. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
for three minutes or, or you can fight back, but then it's head to toe, meaning that there's no rules. They can stomp you out if they want to. And he agreed for the alternative, you know, the, 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 the fight back one, which I've never seen done. And to be fair, I think a lot of the guys didn't see it done before, even the older guys, because during the violation, the guys that were, were violating them, it was like they were almost trying not to hit him in the face. You know, it was like they were trying to give him a regular violation while he was fighting back, you know? <laughs> and it was crazy, man, because I felt like he kind of got away. You know, like guys should have really got a hold of him and beat him down because he didn't really catch a vicious violation, man. He didn't. You know, I remember it was like Chico, Fro. That's the one time I seen Fro actually fighting. He was, he was, you know, he was trying to put in licks on him. There's like this epic moment, right? It's like time stood still. I just, it's crazy. I think about it, right? And if Chico is listening to this by some crazy miracle, <laughs> Chico remember this. It, we get down to the last 10 seconds, right? Jay's like 10 seconds left. And and they're, you know, they're fighting. I mean, he he got touched up. Don't get me wrong. Like, it wasn't like he walked away, you know, unscathed. It gets down to the last second, right? And pain, like, finally, um, you know, like the 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 blows had started to had started to mount up. And so he was like kind of like leaning forward, like blocking his head and his face, you know, because guys were, you know, there was three at a time. And literally, right as uh uh Jay was like, stop. You know, he he was like already ducked down and he like was pain was left handed and he comes up like right simultaneously as a stop and swings as hard as he can. And Chico's just Chico's lucky he's seen that coming, bro, because that shit would have laid Chico out. You know, Chico wasn't a big guy <laughs> neither, but Chico could fight. And he literally ducked it in the in the nick of time, man. And, and that was like an infamous moment. You know, everybody was like, ooh, you know, like the whole like, everybody in the crowd. Like, you know, and so and uh, but that was like an infamous moment. But yeah, so so that's 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 one thing, like a notable thing. Like Payne was that kind of guy. Definitely surprised about the guy he turned out to be uh within the gang. I guess what would be more surprising, to be fair, right? This is a this is a full disclosure show. The biggest surprise was that he literally he got charged for a substantial battery because Payne was the guy who was one of the one of the three guys who started the fight at the gas station in Cudahy. Um Payne was the ones he was the one of the main ones who initiated that fight, you know. Um obviously we talked about that case before yeah. the and so he was literally facing 18 months for a substantial battery and he ended up cooperating. <laughs> he got <laughs> caught the day we all got caught the whole Inca Kasinka and, and enforcer me, Mondi and pain. We all got brought in um, on the same day. And from that day on, that was literally when he cooperated. And I think that was one, that was the biggest surprise. I was, I didn't see that coming. Um, especially after all the stuff we had been through with him. And, you know, I mean, it is what it is at this point, but, but I'm saying like, you know, you, you could be surprised two ways, you know? Yeah. And that, that was kind of one of them. So that's, that's a bow on him. That's kind of the bow on him. You got any questions? Well, the other thing I would ask is, um, so you talked about Weddle. Weddle was his brother, correct? Right. Right. So Weddle... You said he was kind of, he was older and he was kind of removed from the gang. Like he was a Latin king, but he wasn't really involved and wasn't doing day-to-day -day things, correct? Yeah. So Weddle, Weddle was a king when he was drunk. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, and, and the reason why I say that, you know, it, it's going to sound, obviously he's probably, he'd probably take that personal, but I mean, if, if you sum it up, right. And this isn't a bad thing because he was actually a good guy in human stand standards, uh, meaning that he got up every day, went and bust his ass at work, took care of his family, and on the weekends he would get drunk and be around Latin Kings. You know, he wasn't putting in work. You know, he would come to meetings, but you know, so that's my point. Like when he got drunk, he was a king, or you know, when he had to show up at a meeting, obviously he wasn't drunk, but you know, it was it wasn't a it wasn't like he was an everydayer put it like that. So that's he, the kind of king he was. Do you think that a lot of your perception of what pain was going to be was based off of what Weddle was? A hundred percent. That's a hundred percent accurate. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a perfect portrayal of, of probably what I thought he was. Um, I thought he was a little bit more 
how do you say it? Like he was a little bit more uh, with the times, meaning that he was he he wasn't our age, but he was more like hip to shit that was going on in our age. You know if that makes sense? Like like he was with the music, he was with the you know just that kind of uh, our generation. Weddle was a little older, you know, so he was you know he was more like Easy E and E Forty kind of shit, <laughs> you know, like um, we were more Jada Kiss and East Coast rappers and stuff like that. So. Um, yeah, he he blended in with us better than than Weddle ever could. Do you remember what when so when Payne did his I forget what you call it, but when he got initiated in the gang and he started chose to fight back, was that kind of like an eye-opening experience like did that kind of yeah. change your perception a lot of them like like holy crap, really you want to do that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that that's a it's a good question, right? But I think I think for me, um, at that time, like I, I already had liked pain, right? Obviously to throw my crown up for him and for him to become a king, um, I already had liked pain, right? And so I, I you know, who he was as a person and what he did in the street wasn't in question anymore. So that move right there didn't propel him and if he would have chose not to do it, it wouldn't have set him down. I think at that point I was more Man, I hope these dudes beat his ass. Because it was like, for me, <laughs> yeah, for me, it was like, man, the audacity, you know, and I say these dudes because I wasn't one of the ones that was picked. And so that's more where I was at at that time. Like, man, I hope they beat the shit out this dude, man. Like, who do you think he is fighting back? Ain't nobody else going to fight back, right? And so um, that's where I was at at that time. And obviously afterwards, you know, it's not like that, you know. But yeah, at the time, I was like, man, you know, so that's kind of where I was at with him. Interesting. Do you got uh, a so, another yeah, example? Oh, I got another. I got another one. So this this is a this is another one that's a um. I don't know if it's pleasantly surprised, unpleasantly surprised. I guess I just explain the story and 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 kind of tell you why I was surprised in general, right? So this is Toot's brother, right? Toot's brother is Beaky, Beaky's family, bro. You know, uh, he might not feel that way about about me right now, um, but. He's family and, and, um, you know, he always will be. The thing about Beaky, man, is for lack of a better term, man, he was a fuck up. You know, he, he just, uh, not like, not like intentionally, but he would just, you know, he would have brain farts as a, as a prospect, you know, he, he wasn't a king and, um, you know, him and him and Toot started coming around around a similar time. Obviously, they knew a bunch of guys before they started coming around us. So they were always around around. You know, it wasn't like they were just strangers. But I'm saying like around our group of guys and in the mix with 19th Street, um, they started coming around around the same time. But Tutu is a younger brother, Toot, and he flew past Peaky, like surpassed him, you know, um, so much to the point where he would be like, have to scold Peaky. Because, you know, Beaky wouldn't be, you know, he would he would be messing up, you know, meaning that, you know, he would be saying he wants to be a king, but he's never around. Or or when he is around, you know, Beaky wasn't like the fastest guy on the scene, you know. He, he's he's really he's just a really unique character. I mean, he was one of the guys that wore his pants down, hanging off his ass. <laughs> I mean, his shirts were so big, it looked like he had T-Rex arms. Like he was just one of them guys, you know, had a uh, uh, a bandana, you know, Peaky was like a rare, unique character and, and we loved him. Don't get me wrong. Like it wasn't that we, like we embraced him. We wanted him to be 19th street. You know, we always wanted him around, but the perception of him was that, man, is this dude going to be able to get it together mentally? Um, is he going to be able to be out here? And then ultimately, right. You know, Toot felt a little bit of extra pressure because you gotta remember Toot was with me and Tim and me and Tim are both violent. So he's in his head, he's probably like, well, Beaky should be violent too. Cause it's me and him. Right. And, mm -hmm. and that wasn't really the case, you know, not that Beaky was scary, but it's just, he wasn't putting himself in positions that we were, if that makes sense. You know, we were always in the mix, so we had to be violent. Right. And Beaky wasn't around a lot. And then he ended up getting a girlfriend and, and she occupied some of his time. And I mentioned that before where when the guys get girls, they tend to spend less time with the gang and more time with the girl, you know, honeymoon phase and whatever it is. So mm -hmm. he always had like things pulling him away and he would just go missing in action sometime for like a week, you know, seven days, eight days. And that's extremely rare 
you know, when it comes to our group and our clique, we've seen each other every day. That's kind of the, that's kind of the background of, of what the perception of, of Beaky was, what he, he had made the perception. And, and to be fair, um, if it wasn't for, if it wasn't me and Tim and Toot that felt that, that, you know, felt that love towards him, he might not have never been a king, man, because there was a lot of people that felt like he shouldn't even have been around anymore because he was kind of non-existent at times. I understood. I understood that. I understand where guys were coming from and, and we had conversations with him about that. And uh, <clears throat> to his credit, man, he he made effort. He made the effort and, and came around a lot more, um, but he never really had that. He never really had that extra you know, he never really had that known for being a shooter, known for doing this, known for, he didn't, he never really had that, you know, he was, um, for lack of a better term, again, you know, I hate to say it, but he was kind of in Toot's shadow, you know, and um, Toot had a big shadow, man, you know, <laughs> he was, he was, listen, he was, in every aspect of the street life, he was a solid dude. They got into it a lot. You know, they bumped heads, um, but obviously that's, that's personal. That's more personal. But, but my point of saying that is that there was a big threshold to meet when it came to him being Toots family and being around a bunch of guys that were violent and, and he was falling short. When I got locked up, obviously right before I got locked up, when I was a Kasinka, Peaky became a king. You know, I, I threw my crown up for him. You know, I said that he deserved to be it. I, I, you know, I said that he had been around long enough. He knew everybody, and and you know, I felt like his heart was in the right spot, and um, I was okay with that decision, and so was everybody else. So fast forward a little bit, man. I get I get locked up, and um, <clears throat> you know, Peaky's he's kind of got the same reputation, man. And uh, but like I said, he was never, nobody ever thought, man, Beaky scared. Nobody ever thought nothing like that. Everybody respected him. Um, they just felt like he wasn't around a lot. Well, one day, man, um, <clears throat> they were by, you know, you got to remember, I'm locked up for this, so I'm getting this secondhand. Um, so they were at a girl's house, some random girl, guys hanging out. You know how it is. We infest houses. We take them over and and that that's kind of how it rolls, right? So they're they're the brothers are infesting this house, and um, you know, to get to the point, for some reason or another, Gordy's outside, he's in the gangway, and uh, you know, there ends up being a snake, a cobra, that is walking up behind him, literally to kill him. You know, got a hoodie on, um, got a gun on his waist, actually got a gun in his hoodie pocket, and is gonna is gonna kill Gordy. He's gonna shoot him in the back of the head, more than likely. And uh, before he gets a chance to get to him, Beaky walks up behind him and kills him. Wow. And, you know, so he saved Gordy's life, 100%, no doubt about it. Um, but my point is that, you know, for all the hoopla about his, you know, not being around and and making mistakes, you know, you know, for all that hoopla, everything changed with one shot, you know, um, <clears throat> and it changed his life, obviously, because he ended up getting charged with that. But that was a surprise that I was not ready for. You know, when I heard that, you know, it was like I said, it wasn't that I never thought he was capable of that. It's just I didn't see him ever being in a position where he would have to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of, I kind of thought he would be around, he'd be at the parties and every now and then he'd come and kick it, you know, but, um, that was something bro that I, I can't say, I, I can't say for myself as much as, you know, as many shootings as I've done, you know, I can't say that. I can't say I've never, um, like that one right there, you know, we talked about the story before with pain, you never know if he saved my life or whatever the case is. That one right there is a direct hundred percent saved his life mm -hmm. without you know, unless for some reason the other guy, the guy died with a gun on him. Um, unless for some reason he would have, his gun would have jammed or, you know, God would have had right. other plans for Gordy, you know, whatever it is. But, but all things considered, everything being equal, Beaky literally saved his life right there. Um, but, but the bigger point is, you know, for me at that point, at this, you know, stage is, man, I was shocked. 
I was like, damn, you know? Um, and obviously this is, he never got charged for it. Right. You know, I'm just getting wind. I'm, I'm in Wales. And Tim's like, yeah, man, he killed this snake. And, and he was a well-known snake. You know, everybody was, um, obviously mourning, mourning the guy, you know, he was, he was one of the guys who was in the street, you know, he was, um, he was a well-known hitter for them. Young dude too. Uh, so yeah, I remember hearing it like, damn, you know, and, and, uh, kind of shocked me, man. Caught me off guard, but, but that's one of those ones where, yeah, shocked the other way, right? Like shocked to see that somebody turns into that and ends up being that and say what you want. I guess if you were analyzing somebody's quote unquote career as a King, right? I mean, does one bullet that way change the entire scope of his career? I don't know. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I know, I know that, uh, (laughs) You know, I know that Beaky went to trial on our indictment. So he did all the things that you're supposed to do in this gang life. You know, he he, he committed a murder. He went to trial on a federal indictment, lost, and then got charged in the state for the murder and took a plea, right? But here's the part that uh, we can kind of transition to because I, I mentioned about being shocked about the the outcome. And, but here's the part we can transition to. That's always the great, the greatest message is that he did all that, bro. He did all that, you know, saved the King's life, murdered a flake, went to prison in the feds, lost that trial, stood up, didn't cooperate, then went to the state, got charged for murder in the state, took a plea. And I think he, I want to say he had 30 years or something. And you know what he got for that? Nothing. I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you get one guess. <laughs> nothing. <All right? laughs> Not just nothing. You know, let me throw some more context while he was away. These stand up Kings that stayed out, you know, stand up Kings that had got out, you know, from doing two years, three years, five years, you know, the chump change time, those stand up Kings, you know, what do they do? You know, they try to get with his girl, you know, try to get with his kid's mom, yeah. you know, don't send him a dime, you know, don't write him a letter. You know, this is a dude that just stood up for the nation, mm-hmm. killed a flake for the nation, doing time for the nation. Probably never got a dollar from 19th Street. Never got a dollar, man. And, and lost you know? his lost his girlfriend or baby oh for sure (laughs) you know not 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 just that you know i mean there's you know obviously like i don't like you know the personal life is 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 touchy man but yeah to lose that and you know relationships along the way and and uh man it's just it's sad bro because it's like how fulfilling is that let's just put ourselves in his shoes right how fulfilling is that your whole career you're known as somebody who's not um living up to the standard that's set for you right and but you're kind of living your own life you know he lived his own life you know he spent time with family like his girl and and looking back obviously like i don't knock him now but obviously at Mm. the time like we wanted him there right we want him to be around us being stupid every day but you know (laughs) um but so i mean my point is that okay so how fulfilling is that right so he did that he kind of lived and then out of nowhere, he, he kind of goes above the norm. And look, man, he ends up getting into a situation where he kills somebody. And instantly, that recognition, it could get to your head. You know, it could, it could, uh, it could inflate your ego. But it didn't. You know, for him, from my understanding, you know, he was still the same, same guy, man. Real quiet. You know, he could rap like Twista. You know, he, he you know, it was... It, Speaky was a unique guy, man, but a lovable guy, man. And um, I, I I never got into an argument with the guy, you know? And and I've argued with everybody. I've argued with Toot. I've argued with Tim. You know what I mean? Like, I've argued with everybody. And so, bam, he does that. And then he goes to trial. So what I found interesting about this story is the first half of talking about Peaky, he he came came across to me, and I think you guys probably had somewhat of a similar perception that he just really wasn't in committed to the gang thing you know he was there and when he felt like 
being a part of that, he would be a part of it. And when he didn't, he would just go off and do whatever it was he does. But then I hear this part of this story where he shoots somebody and I almost feel like, I mean, he pretty much put it out, displayed that he was 100% committed to the gang because I don't think there's a lot of people that would have, I mean, maybe, maybe he shot this guy just out of instinct. He saw his friend about to get killed and he's like, boom, you know, save just to save his life. But then to go on and do basically everything that the playbook that a Latin King is supposed to do throughout his trial and stuff just shows how really committed he was to the game. You know, and it, uh, that's, that's that's a that's a that's a pretty good that's a perfect um, uh, synopsis of that man because that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, man, you know, as much confusion as there was about his career, you know, at that point he basically was like, yeah, he saved Gordy's life, and he probably that was the you know that was natural instinct, right? Probably to 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 save his friend. But on top of that, he might have been like, there is that what you guys wanted? You know, mm-hmm. like bam, you know, I did it, you know, and and um. I'm not saying that's true, but in my mind, I feel like, man, like, you know, is there vindication there, you know? And, and then, and then on top of that, right. You know, he goes to trial. None of us went to trial. Right. So Mm -hmm. is there vindication there? Like, man, you guys copped out. I didn't, you know, and, and, and then, um, you know, to go to the feds and, and obviously, you know, get all that time. Uh, yeah, I think that's a perfect that's a that's a perfect way to sum that up, man. Is that's exactly what I feel, man. I feel like that's that you know, that was a that was a way for him to be like I was really real about this the whole time. You yeah. know. Um I don't think nah, anybody nah, could nah. really question the loyalty at that point in time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So Yeah, man, that's a that's a it's another, another unique one, man. That, and that one's a little more closer to home. You know, it's home a little more because obviously um, Peaky's like family. He's always like family. So um, it is different, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. what I got, man. That's where I'm at, man. I, I give you I give you some a couple couple, couple different ones there to, to chew on. So I mean, if you got any questions, shoot them. I don't, but I think it it is very important because I think what we did on the Patreon just recently – about Mario kind of really plays into the role of this a lot. I don't know if you want to just kind of give like a short synopsis of what the things that Mario did that kind of disappointed you. Cause I think it plays into this episode perfectly. And if the people want to hear more, they can go check out the Patreon. Oh, that's true. That's a, that's a solid salesman right there. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I think, I think, uh, Definitely Mario would fit into this into this uh category as far as being surprised how somebody turned out, you know, and um continuing to be surprised how somebody turned out. <laughs> yeah. Um you know, without giving too much away, because I do feel like there's something to be said about the people who are on Patreon and that get the exclusive content. I think there's something to be said about that uh that privilege. So I won't give too much away, man. If people want to understand that story and, and really get into it, it's actually a two part story. Yep. Um, I advise him to get on Patreon as well, but let's just say this, man, Mario was a very close friend at one time and, um, almost like family as well. And he ended up doing a lot of, a lot of shady things. Um, towards me and towards two and towards Tim, you know, things that are pretty much unforgivable. Um, Obviously I forgive them now because where I'm at in my life, you know, but I'm talking about going through them, going through them at the time, you you know, those are unforgiving things. And so um, he, he definitely switched up on us, you know, even, even though we were all going through the same thing. Um, so to kind of give a little clarity on that, he also cooperated around the time we did. And, um, and so he was, he was in the same boat we were, but, uh, he went about his strategy to get home a lot different than we did, you know? And, uh, I'm sure there's probably people out there that really, really dislike him, (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> probably as much as probably as much as they dislike me. But yeah, man, I think that's a that's a personal story, man. That's a personal one that that uh that I shared with our Patreon listeners and and I encourage people to go and listen to that because as I go forward and I start to break down some of these relationships um that I have with individuals, I think it's easy easier to see um why I ended up having feelings the way I do about these people. Um and and uh right or wrong, right? I'm not saying that it's a justification about why I feel a certain way about this person, that person, but just it'll give somebody some insight, you know, to be like, oh, that's why, you know, that's why he talks about this person like that, or that's why he's so close to this person, or whatever the case may be. So um definitely encourage people to get on there, man. And 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 like I said last episode, man, we we're getting to a point, man, where, you know, these the, the Patreon members are interacting, you know, they they uh they're definitely bringing forth ideas and and uh, I feel like it just keeps the it keeps the show uh balanced, it keeps the show rolling, but it 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 shows the engagement in this community. You know, it shows the engagement in in really trying to dissect and learn about everything and all the elements. Because what does that do? It gives you information. Information creates strength, and you can pass that along to people, and that's how we learn together, right? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, man, I guess that's a cheap way to get out of that, you know, and and not give away too much. I think my Patreon members right now are probably like, "Good going, Berto." Yeah. You know <laughs> so as, a, as if you would have given a nugget, you would have had thirteen emails in, in your mailbox yeah. yelling at you. <laughs> how, how could you? I paid for that content. Yeah. No, 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 I don't know. But uh, <laughs> no, it's just another way to encourage them, man. Get on there and and subscribe, man. Subscribe with us, man. Yep. So, Berto, do you got anything else you want to add with this one, or should we wrap her up? Um, I think this is this is a good it's a good place to wrap it up, man. Um, and let the the viewers know that you are once again vacation, Eric. Yeah, holding true, <laughs> holding true to his gang name. But we will have episodes every week, so they ain't got to worry about that. But uh, I think the next but, time record is in about three weeks, right? Two weeks, two All weeks right. probably. So, All right. so but but we'll keep them coming out and and. 100%. Don't worry. 100%. Vacation Eric is taking a vacation from being Vacation Eric for a while once he gets back. So, so. Then it's my turn. No, I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> I ain't got enough time in yet. I got... so. so. All right. Yeah, man. With that, man, you can wrap them up, man. All right. With that, we'll wrap this episode up. And as always, if you're, in, you can check out that Patreon at patreon.com slash normalized crime. And. Also, shoot us any emails you have at normalizedcrime at gmail.com. And we will be back in one week with another episode. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to Normalized Crime. Stay tuned for the next episode.